Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later on the show, we are going to talk about how the viral nature of violence involving police, the viral nature of the videos that we see involving police violence, how does that affect our psyche? Does it help us understand more about the issue, or does it just desensitize us to these things? Think of how often we see things that just would horrify you if you saw them infrequently, uh, is the frequency with which we see them making us not respond as dramatically as we normally would. So you're going to want to stay tuned to that conversation. But first, we want to start with a kind of related conversation. When we see violence involving police, we really long for justice. When police are targeted at the receiving end of violent encounters, we hope the attackers are punished to the full extent of the law. And we especially hope systems are in place to keep bad cops off the streets because the vast majority of us know that brutal and unscrupulous officers make up a really small fraction of the police force. And they give good officers who really do protect and serve a bad name. But it turns out the system here in Metro Detroit is actually working to keep bad cops on the streets. That's according to a new investigative report that ran over the weekend in the Detroit Free Press. And I want to read quickly from that report some of the major findings. A recurrence of problem cops left on the street because they are protected by a system of officials, labor arbitrators, or sympathetic chiefs who don't end officers' careers when they are given the chance. Also, police officers are among the most protected public employees in the state. Laws, unions, judges, and city leaders where the cops work often shield their disciplinary records and basic information like their names. Also, it's that it's true that poor communities, some with heavily minority populations, are magnum, magnets for problem cops uh, in competition with more affluent communities. These departments lose out in part because jobs are sometimes part-time and lower paying. Joining me now to talk about this report are the two authors of it. Jim Schaefer and Gina Kaufman are both staff writers at the Free Press Skies. Welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, and and congratulations on the work. Uh, It really is a stunning set of revelations about how the system just doesn't work in favor of the people. It's working in favor of police officers. Um, if you guys want to go join the, if the conversation, uh, have questions for the reporters or want to talk about the uh, the issue of police violence, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. What do you think about the idea that police officers who offend in one community can go get jobs in another community and maybe re-offend? Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work your comments into the conversation. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really curious, uh, Jim and Gina, how you came to, to sort of think of this story. Uh, we see incidents of cops misbehaving every once in a while. But what made you think that there was a systemic problem here as opposed to just an individual one? Well, I think we didn't really know there was a systemic problem until uh, William Melendez beat up Floyd Dent, an angster, Mm -hmm. in January of 2015. 
Um, that incident uh, was surprising to some of us uh, when we found out who the officer was who had actually uh, done the beating. You know, when, when it came out that it was Melinda's, a lot of us remembered him from our earlier reporting days in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was indicted in 2003. This was a high-profile bad guy. Yeah, as yeah. a Detroit police officer. He was acquitted, as were some of the other officers. Um, But he'd had trouble throughout his career in Detroit. And the question was, wow, how is this guy still on the street? And so we started with Melinda's. And um, the question posed to us by some editors was, um, are some police departments around here harboring problem cops? And uh, we found out that they are. Um, It took a lot of work because, as you mentioned, uh, one of our findings was that this information is not easily gettable. Right. You cannot just walk into a police station and say, give me all the disciplinary records you have on, on police officers. Um, the Freedom of Information Act has an exemption in Michigan where the cities can withhold it if they decide that officers' privacy outweighs the public's right to know. Right. On the other hand, they can give it to you if they decide the public should know about it. And uh, we found in many situations where they were being very conservative in what they would release, um, including fired officers. Right. You know, the city of Detroit wouldn't even give us names of any fired police officers until we really pressed them on it, and then they did give up that information. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the difficulty here extends to the realm of trying to quantify the problem. We can't say for sure how often cops misbehave or how often that misbehavior goes unpunished, right, Gina? Correct. I mean, we that's basically what we found. There's virtually no way to determine, you know, how many officers like this are on the street right now um, because nobody keeps track. I mean, there is no repository for this information. The state doesn't track misconducts like that. Um, they may get notified. They, they do get notified when someone leaves a department, but they don't know why. So if someone's fired from one place or forced to resign, the only place that knows why is the department that got rid of them. Right. And so other agencies have to go, you know, conduct background checks, try to figure out, uh, you know, as best they can, I guess, you know, why somebody left a place. But we found cases where they did that and they knew. Yeah. And then they hired them anyway. Yeah. They found out why someone left and then they still hired them. What What's the reason that Michigan doesn't do better on this? Because I know that other states, some other states at least, uh, keep better track of these things and are able to, to inform local uh, police departments when they're hiring somebody about somebody who maybe shouldn't be on the force or prevent those departments from hiring cops with bad records. What's, what's going on here in Michigan? Yeah, the, uh, the extent to which states regulate problem police officers varies widely around the country. Um, there have been studies done. One that we cited was by Matthew Hickman from Seattle University and Interestingly, he's done this study for police chiefs. This is not a, uh, a study that was commissioned for journalism, um, <laughs> and they do it every few years. They, they ask every state to send in, what do you do to handle problem police officers? And we found that, based on his research, about half of the states around the country um, can decertify police officers for um, behavior that is a lot less serious than what Michigan might decertify for. In Michigan, you have to commit a felony and be convicted of it. Um, As of last year, they amended the bill or or they amended the authority that the Michigan Commission on Law Enforcement Standards has to add nine misdemeanors that you could also uh, decertify for. But that's it. 
pretty much. I mean, there's a small exception for fraud on an application when you're first applying to be a police officer, but you have to do something really serious and be convicted of it in Michigan to be in order decertified. To be decertified. Yeah, so other states can't go work somewhere else. Other states have a lot more authority than yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Jim Schaefer and Gina Kaufman, reporters for the Detroit Free Press, authors of a sprawling package of stories this weekend about rogue cops, cops who misbehave on the job here in Michigan maybe get dismissed from one department, but then can go find employment somewhere else. Uh, the state does not do a great job of tracking how frequently this happens. Uh, local departments are reluctant to sometimes share the information, and so the public is often in the dark about which cops belong on the force and which cops are themselves a menace. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Tell us what your experience has been with uh, police officers who cross the line. Tell us what goes on in your community with police officers that cross the line. Are you worried that perhaps uh, the safeguards are not in place to prevent that from happening? Or do you think uh, the state ought to be doing more to prevent that. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter, and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Bernard on Harsons Island. Bernard, welcome to Detroit Today. Good to be here. Hey. Uh, question for your guest. Um, have they investigated how many of these individuals have left one department and joined another who are eligible for pension in department number one and then go work in another department and collect pension number two. Wow. Uh, Bernard, that's a great question. Is there a, is there sort of a game here where you can get dismissed from, from one department, go to another, get a second pension, a second state pension, right? Um, well, I don't know that we have a, we don't really have an answer on how many there might be, but we know that in the case of William Melendez, um, he was actually fired from Detroit, fought at an arbitration. Some of his cases, he had a few different arbitrations going at once. They were A couple were still going on, and he decided to retire. Right. So he vested his pension and then went on um, to a program through the state, got his license back, his law enforcement license, and then he went on to get hired. But I don't think we have an answer as to how many yeah, there might be. And so he would not... Well, he might be eligible then for a pension in, in Inkster as, as well as Detroit. And I said state pension, but actually police pensions are handled locally. So. Well, what we found, interestingly, is that um, when given the choice of whether to fire an officer or accept his resignation, his or her resignation, police chiefs um, sometimes allow that to happen so that officers can keep their pensions. Right. I mean, it's a, it, it's a decision. It's a, it's a negotiating point that weighs heavily in these agreements that are constructed so that officers will just leave. You know, I mean, it's a chit that, that is used as a, it's a bargaining thing. You know, a lot of the, the, the regulations that are that are in place here have to do with collective bargaining agreements. What do the unions say about their protection of police who who misbehave? I mean, clearly that's not their intent is to is to have right. bad cops on the force, but the 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 effect really is is to do that. 
Yeah, one of the things that we found, we spoke to a couple different union officials. I mean, they don't, I mean, I don't think anybody wants to have officers on the street who have problems like this. I mean, but one of the things that they said was, you know, to attract better cops, you really need to have more incentives. The the communities do. I mean, you know, they they say there's been a hit on wages, pensions, um, health care benefits. So that's an argument that they make a lot. You know, if you want better police officers, make it more attractive to be a police officer. Right. The pool of candidates is shrinking in Michigan because nobody wants to do the job. That's what they say. And I, and I think it's fair to, to add that the union perspective on this is that it's up to the chiefs and the sheriffs to take care of these guys. It's not up to the union. It's not up to the union. Yeah. That's I mean, interesting. It, it, we spoke with a, a national uh, uh, FOP gentleman and somebody from the uh, state uh, Police Officers Association of Michigan, I believe. And um, their position is uh, the responsibility when a police chief or a sheriff find a problem officer, they need to step up, say why this person was removed from his or her position, and stand by it and go through the process, right? right? I mean, right. I don't think unions mind if things are adjudicated um, in a fair and efficient manner, you know, but... Um, we did, you know, interestingly, some of the contracts that are written around here also um, make it difficult to get information on police officers. We, we've seen, uh, I think we saw two in our examination of this, where information is supposed to be removed from personnel files. Uh-huh. After, Certain disciplinary uh, records. After a number of years, um, no matter what it is. And is it is it embarrassment that is driving this this sort of subterfuge on the part of the departments? I mean, I, I would think that if you found out you had a problem officer in your ranks, you'd want to almost make an example of them so that other people didn't think they could do the same thing. It sounds a little more like, let's just sweep this under the rug so that it's not a big deal. I don't know if it's an embarrassment as much as it is just wanting the problem to go away from their community. In Ferndale, for example, we highlighted an officer who uh, was found to be having sex on duty Mm -hmm. over a two-week period with a student a college student who was um, following the officer around for a couple weeks to learn the job. And they really wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to fire him. But the police chief told us the guy came in and offered to resign. I mean, he can't present, prevent that officer from resigning. He right. can't say, no, you're not resigning. You're fired. Right. Um, and so they negotiated an agreement with him. Um, they gave it to us under the Freedom of Information Act, uh, which was a good thing. But it also showed... Um, some things that some people might criticize. You know, they uh, they agreed to with this officer to tell any prospective employers that might come in that he resigned for personal reasons, um, unless it was a police agency. Uh, the chief was telling us this was designed to keep him off the streets in other departments. Yeah. Um, if a police agency called and wanted to hire this officer, they said, if they ask us and they've got a waiver from you, we're going to let them look at your files. And so... Surprisingly, maybe to some, a lot of people did call. Um, Several departments passed on this guy. But Highland Park came in and and looked at files, according to this police chief in Ferndale, and uh, saw everything that this officer had uh, done during his career and still hired him. Yeah. Well, and in Highland Park, I mean, Highland Park's a great example of a really small, deeply impoverished, highly uh, uh, African-American community that that doesn't have a whole lot of choice about who they could hire to be to be officers and not a lot of people lining up to go do that that work mm-hmm. most of the positions they have there are part-time they right. only have a handful of full-time officers most are part-time and they have a very robust reserve volunteer police force 
Yeah. Uh, Pam on Facebook says, true that changes could be made to improve the process, but better pay and leadership would go much further in making sure the profession is full of officers committed to serving the public at a high level of quality. That's a great point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not just pay. uh, I I would think training is is part of an issue here, too. I mean, Yeah. yeah, you have police officers who are maybe inclined to behave badly, but you have a lot of officers who end up on the job with not a whole lot of experience or time uh, thinking about how to do the job correctly. Yeah, there's a, uh, there was a, uh, the Michigan Commission on Law Enforcement Standards was just asked by Governor Snyder last fall to put together a report on how to b- rebuild trust with the community. Yeah. Some people have criticized it because it doesn't address misconduct right. uh, to much extent at all. Um, but one of the recommendations they made was better training. You know, officers right now go through like a six-month academy Mm -hmm. when they're first becoming an officer, but the training after that is really sparse. You can voluntarily send officers for training, but I think MCOLS is asking that things be more mandatory than they are now. Well, a lot of the training that they do, it's like firearms training. They have to qualify. That's something that's constant. Um, Every year, I think... I, th- I believe it's every year they have to qualify, if I'm mm-hmm. correct, or every couple of years or so. But they want to modernize training. They want to have different types of training that, that applies to society now, you know, things that help them on the street when they're making decisions sure. in dealing with the community. Yeah, Cops are asked to do things today that they probably were not encountering. Right. right. 15 and it's all, ago. you know, being videotaped. That's, I mean, that's, that's absolutely right. And I think that, frankly, is another thing that keeps people from applying to this profession now. Besides the pay and the benefits that are being cut, it's constantly being second-guessed, right? right? Um, Monitored all the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Jim Schaefer and Gina Kaufman, reporters for the Detroit Free Press, authors of a package of stories that ran over the weekend that talks about uh, bad cops, people who misbehave while wearing a badge. Uh, here in Michigan, in southeast Michigan, you can do that, apparently, and maybe lose your job, but then go find a job somewhere else as a police officer. Are we doing enough in local communities to prevent bad cops from getting new jobs? Should the state be involved in deciding when bad cops ought to be decertified more aggressively uh, involved in that? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work your comments in. Let's go to Michelle in Detroit. Michelle, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Yeah, I have some questions about what what underlying causes we might have in Detroit. I did some research around the kind of emergence of the Black Lives Matter movement and found there were issues in New York of unofficial quotas that, you know, stuff around stop and frisk and there are also these recommendations that there could be a third-party investigating unit for any allegation of police wrongdoing or excessive force. And those are policy things that we could be building that I don't believe we have in Michigan. Um, so, you know, if you want to report a cop, you, you report it to a detective who works for the same agency. Uh-huh. So can you speak to that at all? Yeah. Uh, Michelle, thanks very much for the call and, and the questions. Here in Detroit, we have a police commission that is made up of citizens. Do they play a role in dealing with with cops who misbehave? And, and are other communities sort of similarly suited to do that? 
Well, Detroit does have the Board of Police Commissioners, and they have the um, they have an, an, an investigative arm for citizen complaints. So you can complain to them. They have their own investigative unit. They will look into that. Um, other departments take citizen complaints as well. I mean, one of the problems is, and we found this is true too with, with our research, sometimes finding the resolutions to those citizen complaints can be difficult. Um, is that right? They it, don't keep track of it. Well, they probably keep track of it, but whether you can actually get your hands on it is another issue. I mean, we we FOIA'd Highland Park, for example, for information, and we got a, a handful of citizen complaints, but we have no idea whether the department found them to be sustained or or invalid or, or not. So um, you can... Uh, complain to your department. There's usually someone who will take those citizen complaints, but honestly, what happens with them, it's sort of unclear. Yeah, yeah. And at the at the state level, Stephen, they um, we found that MCOLS, you know, the state agency that regulates police officers, mm-hmm. is a very small outfit uh, with a decreasing budget. I mean, they hardly have enough money to um, invest in training, uh, as we were told from the former executive director who just left in May. Um, in order for the state to become more active in policing problem police officers, there needs to be an infusion of cash, frankly, right. into MCOLs. They would have to add infrastructure to do this. Right now, it's a very small group of people who are trying to keep track of where officers are, let alone what they might what be they doing. What they might be doing. Right. And there doesn't seem to be a terrible amount of political will at the state level to get involved in this yeah. issue. I mean, I, I can think off the top of my head of a few legislators who I've had a conversation with over the years about this, but, but you know, there, isn't, there really is not a lot of movement uh, uh, on this. Well, and the reality is, I mean, M. Coles has a board, and they're made up of a lot of different folks from different areas of law enforcement, union, administrative, there's some citizen, I think there's a citizen on there now. Um, they just to have like a few misdemeanors added to the list of revocable offenses mm-hmm. for police officer licenses. It took years. I mean, going back through meeting minutes, you can see this debate going on for many, many years. So anytime there's any change at that level, I just think it takes a lot of debate and you're always going to have people on various sides of the issue. Um, and like Jim was saying, I mean, M. Coles doesn't really have the infrastructure to be the internal affairs unit for, for the rest of the state. <laughs> and a lot of people up there, I think they just believe in local control anyway. They don't necessarily, a lot of folks don't necessarily think that the state should really be intervening on that level. Yeah. Let's go back to the phones here. Diana in Detroit. Diana, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Thanks hey. for um, having me on. Sure. Um, I am calling because I think that instead of the state doing more, Perhaps we should be looking to the federal government to set up some kind of structure of reporting. Um, you know, there, that, that way, instead of having 50 different standards around the country, we've got one. Um, I mean, police agencies already report their crime statistics to, F- to the FBI. They do. So there is a history of, you know, and there's some kind of infrastructure in place for reporting. Um, and that way, it's not piecemeal. Um, I mean, if we can track deadbeat parents, why can't right. we track with some certainty, you know, cops that are a danger to the public? Yeah. Um, to me, it's all about risk management. You right. know, if I wanted to check that box and have uh, some kind of federal certification that I've made sure this guy or this woman isn't on some kind of list nationally, um, you know, it helps me in terms of my risk management. Right. Uh, Diana, that's a great point and a great question. Uh, thanks very much for the call. You know, it, it strikes me that that I mean, just from what I know of dealing with police departments, I mean, these are some of the most insular <laughs> government agencies around. I mean, you can't get them to 
often work with each other, you know, one department uh, to the next in in bordering cities. The idea of federal oversight, though, I mean, I think bumps up against some more kinds of I don't know if they're governmental, but they're certainly cultural conventions that say this is a local issue, not a not a national one. There is a group. Um, I'm going to forget the name of it, but the uh, acronym is IADList, and they are trying to get a national decertification index going. I mean, they've already got it going. They're trying to get more states involved in it, like as uh, an independent, yeah, it's right? Voluntary. It's voluntary, <laughs> and and each state could then could be contributing their the names of officers who have been decertified to prevent. Another issue, which is an officer being decertified in one state and then finding a job in another state. Um, And that's what that so that has been set up. But not every state participates in it. But on the federal level, there really isn't anything going on. Well, with the current administration withdrawing from its intervention in the police departments for a number of different things, I would imagine that it would be even harder politically. Diana, again, thanks for the call. Let's go to Tim in Bagley. Tim. Hi, good morning again. Congratulations uh, to Jim and Gina. Great piece of expose material there. Uh, We're really talking, it would seem, a frightening precedent. Um, If we're mentioning within a conversation that poor wages, shrinking, health care, bad or very low um, incentives to enter the police academies combined with protective unions and uh, sheriffs. Uh, it does sound as though we're setting ourselves up for that type of continuation in terms of poor police behavior. If we cannot attract the best, then we may continually get those who are not willing to be the best. And if, in fact, more money, better pensions, better health care helps, then we need to get the ear of the state legislature to say, look, you've got a very high disproportionate amount of police brutality cases going on in the southwest portion of our state. We need to do what it takes to eliminate that. And if it means a little bit more money to bring in these better policemen in, I would certainly agree to that. Now, question is, with your type of writing and your expose here, is there any possibility, any group, any people can get together and create some type of legislation, pass it on to the state so we can at least monitor and record and do a better job of monitoring these incidences in Detroit to prevent the Nala screens and the gentleman who we saw sure. uh, pulling out the gentleman of this car, beating him to death and or any other type of situation. Yeah, Tim, that's a that's a great question. How can citizens get involved to change this, this issue? Write your local legislator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that seems that's like the one most... start, right? Yeah, I mean, reach out to your local officials. We, I mean, in the case of Floyd Dent, um, which the gentleman was referring to, he was beaten by William Melendez. He sued civilly. That cost taxpayers in Inkster money, a yeah. lot of money. It cost them $1.4 million. Yeah. Um, the city ended up having to levy a tax on its own residents. I'm sure people in Inkster were not happy about that. So, I mean, the best way is to just be vocal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's take one more call here before we And Julie in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Today. You there, Julie? Oh, yes. Yep. Hi. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Go ahead. Um, well, I've been representing victims of police misconduct for many, many years, more than I want to count. And I just want to make a couple of points. One, the problems that these wonderful journalists have been point have brought to light um, are very longstanding. They're not necessarily just a function of reduced 
budgets in recent times. Um, departments throughout the state of Michigan have historically um, been acting in ways that they're not held accountable for knowledge they have about bad cops within their departments. They don't adequately investigate these complaints. Cities, as a matter of law, are not held accountable for the departments that allow bad cops to continue operating within their cities. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had a case, for example, a few years ago where my client was a 16-year-old kid who was killed by a Warren police officer through the use of a taser. And that cop had actually been previously employed by the Detroit Police Department and was in the process of the city was settling a $300,000 wrongful shooting case in which this cop had shot a citizen. He then left the city of Detroit, went to work for the Warren Police Department, and never did the Warren Police Department ever even know that this cop had had a wrongful shooting case right. pending against him while he, when he was hired by the city of Warren. Yeah. So I think one of the big problems is the laws that do not require cities to be held accountable for their bad cops. And so you mentioned the Floyd Dent case. Um, Millions and millions of dollars are being needlessly spent by taxpayers shelling out huge verdicts because cities do not step up and do the right thing when their cops injure and violate citizens' constitutional rights on a daily basis. Yeah, Julie, thanks very much uh, for the comments and and for the call there. when 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 we say that we can't quantify this, which which you guys do really meticulously in in the story, uh, I, I wonder though if if you have any hunches about how often this happens. I mean, is it is it one percent? Is it five percent? Uh, <laughs> we wish we knew. We, we, uh, you really just don't have a way to know. I can tell you that. When we did contact the officers who we were writing about, mm-hmm. more than one of them told us, why are you focusing on us? This happens all over the place. Is that right? Now, yes. we can't prove that, but I'm just telling you what we were told by more than one officer that we called for this story. Yeah. Um, and just one other thing real quick. I know uh-huh. we're, in, we're running out of time, but that last caller uh, prompts me to say, we don't know all of these stories. We did our best to find as many as we could in Southeast Michigan. If your listeners have stories that we should know, I would encourage them to contact us because we will investigate them if we can. And they can read our stories at Freep.com and respond to us. All our contact information is on there. Yeah. Well, and we also need to get on getting the legislature to maybe take this a little more seriously and make sure that these things are reported and collected somewhere that uh, the public can get them. All right, Jim Schaefer, Gina Kaufman, reporters for the Free Press, thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Steve. All right, up next, we're going to talk about how we're affected by viewing videos of violence online. Dr. Carl Taylor, sociology professor at Michigan State University, will be here next. Stay with us on Detroit Today.